Yo, what's up, everybody? This episode of The Greatest Show on Dirt is brought to you by none other than Hood Hat. You know how I feel about Hood Hat, how great these hats are. 100% merino wool, the color pops, man. They're Honestly, they're some of the best made hats in the entire industry. Like, they're, they're made in New York, man, which is with preciseness, dude. Like, I've got probably like six hood hats, dude, and they're all made so well. They fit good, and they're super nostalgic. Like, I, I've, I tell you guys every week about my favorite hats, and I'll keep doing it. Like, I put on, listen, I put on the Jack Murphy Stadium hood hat today. I grabbed my bat, and I was probably in front of the bathroom mirror for a solid 15 minutes doing the Fred because, okay, so some of my favorite Padres, Fred McGriff, Gary Sheffield, Benito Santiago, I went through all the batting stances, man. I'm telling you, I hit three home runs as Fred McGriff in the bathroom today and right, and that's what the hats do, man. They they ignite so much nostalgia, and that's what's so great about the hats because they're not their typical hats. Like my Padres hat doesn't say Padres on it. It says Jack Murphy Stadium, and it reminds me of those 90s Padres teams, dude, like the 1992 Padres or 93 Padres, no, the 92 Padres, because Benny went to the Marlins in 93, like the 92 Padres, dude, you're talking Benny Santiago, McGriff, Sheffield, Tony Gwynn, Tony Fernandez, like, that's what these hats do, and that's why I love them so much, man, because Max, the dude that runs the show, his name's Max Nelson, man, sweetheart of a guy, and he's, he's about my age, dude, and he's just a super nostalgic dude, and that's the motto of Hood Hat is never leave it behind, and he, he does a really good job of creating hats that tell that deeper story and that deeper meaning and really just like hit home with the nostalgia. Like his Cincinnati Reds hat says Riverfront Stadium. His Pirates hat says Three River Stadium. And then like when you think of these old stadiums, you think of like the old concrete donuts and, you know, going to the ballpark when you were a kid, like AstroTurf on the fields, watching the NBC game a week, watching the NBC game of the week in front of the TV on a Saturday. It's like those were such good times. So check him out, man. You can go to hoodhat.com or find him on Instagram at hoodhatusa and check out what he sells, man, because I think you'll love the stuff. And if you get a hat, I think you'll just have a lot of fun with it. Anyway, let's uh, let's get to the show. Yo, what's up, everybody? Greatest show on dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I am your host, Quinn. It is Saturday night, and we're going to hang out a little bit, man. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. I appreciate the love, as always, man. The Instagram page has been so fun lately on the comments that have been on there. You know what? I'm having a shitty day. I can get into the Instagram comments on The Greatest Show on Dirt's Instagram. I don't know why I said it like that. And it makes me feel good. I don't think there's a lot of comment sections that a person can go to these days. I'm not trying to brag because none of it's me. It's like the the anybody that follows this podcast or this Instagram page, like everybody's just so nice. Like I've got a renewed sense of just like kindness for people out there because I feel like everybody is so nice to me on the Instagram. So thank you for that. It's a really good place to go where like if I'm a little tired, I can dig into the comments and just see some really funny stuff. And so it's been good. But yeah, so obviously it's uh, I haven't recorded a solo podcast in a while man but that it's a good thing though it's a good thing i uploaded a guest podcast i think like last week and i want to say i have like two more guest episodes at least probably to load up so i'll get one of those going here pretty soon as well but i my wife's out of town so she's in miami for four days so good for her for just living her dream or whatever but honestly <laughs> that's fine she can go to miami 
I uh, did I ever tell you guys about the time that we went to a Marlins game in Miami? It was the wildest thing because it's indoor baseball, and I had never been to an indoor park at all. And it was so comfortable. I don't know how I felt about it. You know, because like watching a game inside, watching live baseball and air conditioning, I mean, it's great. The stadium couldn't have been but 70 degrees. I was so comfortable, but it was so weird to watch a baseball game and not have your thighs rubbed together like they're starting a fire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you really go to a baseball game if you don't have to powder yourself with half a container of gold bond. <laughs> like I had no sunburn, no farmer's tan. I wasn't dehydrated because it's really weird going to a baseball game. It's like like going to a major league baseball game these days is like being on an episode of Survivor because, it, <laughs> because it's so hot, but a bottle of water is like $9. So you're like, all of a sudden now water is like a delicacy and it's just like, damn, $9. Like, do I buy a bottle of water or do I buy like, because a can of beer is like $9 as well. Like a beer and a water are the same price. That's a dangerous spot to put somebody, especially someone like myself who leans towards getting drunk more than he does hydrating. So it puts you in a weird debacle because you don't want to spend the $9 on the water. But when you're at Bush Stadium in St. Louis at the beginning of August, like, you're like, holy shit, like, I'm sweating so much, I haven't peed during the whole game. And it's like, you can feel your skin burning because it's so hot in the Midwest. And you're just like, I'm not going to buy the bottle of water because it's $9. Like, that's crazy. Like, logic leaves when there's a $9 bottle of water close by because, like, now all of a sudden, like, I'm the picky consumer. Like, I'll buy all kinds of dumb shit on eBay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I ordered the other day, like, 10 Nate Colbert cards. <laughs> like, 10 of them I didn't need. Half of them were duplicates. I just saw stuff that I liked, so I ordered it. But, like, when I'm looking at the bottle of water, I'm like, dude, that's, like, a whole, that's, like, three cases of water on the outside, man. Like, what are these prison prices? It's just, like, dude, like, I'm gonna have to slide these guys, like, a pack of camels or something and get some water out of here. This is crazy. I'm gonna have to beat somebody up. But, you know, so as, you know, you're watching the game in the hot, hot heat, you feel yourself get dizzy, you know you're dehydrated, and it's just like everything starts to become a blur. You can see like the heat waves on the field. And the whole time you're just like, no, I will not spend $9 on a water. They will not get me. But then the beer guy comes around and you're like, yeah, give me two of them. You know, because I'll spend nine bucks on beer because, you know, especially when you're good and dehydrated and probably on an empty stomach because like a hot dog is also $9 and it's just like shit man you won't even burn them like if I eat hot dogs like they have to be charred man like give me the carcinogen carcinogens is that the word the carcinogens of like the burnt flesh like that's how I want my hot dog but sometimes when you get a hot dog at a ball game you don't know if they're boiled or not it's like what the fuck and so then I find myself massively dehydrated and I'm like four or five beers in, still, still refusal to drink water. I got my wife next to me, right? She's going to drive us home, thank God. But she might have to stop by the emergency room afterwards, you know, because I'm so dehydrated. So when I was in Miami watching this Miami Marlins game, like I sort of missed that feeling. Like I didn't feel like that, you know, I was going to pass out. There was no heat exhaustion concerns or anything like that. Like, I probably didn't even need to wear deodorant. And I don't know how I feel about that. You know, like, when I go to a ball game, 
I want to come home and have it feel like that I played in the ball game, like I put in a full day's work. But going to the Miami Marlins game, it was like we could leave and like go on a date, you know, like I didn't even stink and I was not completely like rubbed, like my thighs weren't slaughtering each other, you know, but there's other things that go down there too with the uh, the ball sack, like those suckers, it's like a full bat wing when they stick to your thighs and spread out, is that too much information? Listen, I don't know, but I could cut that out if, no, you know, let's just let it ride, man, but it, it was fun, but also the Miami Marlins, they had cheerleaders on the dugouts. Now, these weren't like teenagers who were like, you know, working at the ballpark over summer vacation, like launching t-shirts at. These were like women who maybe, you know, have been to an adult bar working. I'm not too sure, but it was very like, I mean, it was very sexual. That's There's no other way to put it. They were dancing very sexually. And, you know, it was interesting for a baseball game. You know, I say my – it's like watching the cheerleaders dance on top of the Miami Marlins dugout. It's like on National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation where Clark Griswold, he goes to, like, the mall to buy his wife a present. And there's, like, that the, – the cosmetic counter girl who's very attractive. And he has that dream about her when he has the pool in the backyard and when he's in the kitchen, right? And that's what it is with every Lampoon movie. It's like Clark Griswold – has like fantasies about, you know, the hot chick or whatever. And that's what it was like at the Miami Marlins game. Like you were looking at him and you didn't know if it was real or not. And then they were sort of just there. But then, you know, every guy in that place, like their wives were probably staring daggers at him. Like, yeah, you you, you like cheerleaders now? Like you're really into this game? And it's, it's, a, it's a weird spot as a guy to be in too. Because we had good seats like right behind the dugout. And when they're like five or six, like, you know, um, girls, women – in like really thin, tight, black, like two-piece things dancing in front of you. It's a weird spot for a guy to be in because, you know, you do that thing where like you'll look up and it's just like, oh, I just want to like look at the rafters or whatever. You know what I mean? And you know your wife's next to you. Like she's acting like she's on her phone between innings, but you know that she's looking at you. So you're just like, oh. And then when she looks over at you, you just look up and then you just think of something to say. Like, look at the rafters up there. This is a tall stadium. How tall do you think this stadium is, you know? And meanwhile, like you're just trying to catch a glimpse or whatever. But it was a good game. But anyway, that's so my wife is in Miami. And so I've been here by myself with my daughter again I always cherish these moments where it's just me and the kid so this is maybe the third or fourth time that my wife has left me alone with the kid and I'm a hermit so I don't do a lot of that like I'm a pretty simple guy and I don't travel to places like Miami like I don't want to go to Miami and get sunburned I'd rather go to a baseball game and get sunburned but Miami I think that shit would be too fancy for me man like she sent me pictures of food that she's eating and it is like some authentic Cuban cuisine. And it, it, it's probably good. But I would probably be in there like, where are the bagel bites on the menu? And they'd probably just be like, get out of here, dude. But it, so it's been fun. But my daughter, so she's, she's just hit 18 months. Shit, I think today might be, no, tomorrow is her 18-month anniversary. You can't call it a birthday. It's an anniversary. And so check this out. So the night before last, during the whole day, she loves to wear a hat. Like if it's like a big like Kentucky Derby type hat or a bucket hat or a ball cap, like she loves it. So it was two days ago, she was just wanting to wear her Cubs hat everywhere. And I didn't have, you know, 
I, you know, she's only 18 months, so she doesn't really know English yet. So I can't tell her that that hat is going to be a vehicle for just pure depression and liver destruction. But we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And so she just had to wear the hat. So it gets close to bedtime or whatever. And she still has the hat on. And so I go to start to put her in bed and I try to take the hat off. She loses her mind. She's pissed. So I put the hat back on. So the bedtime routine is this like shut the lights off, sound machines on. I'll hold her for like 10 minutes and then lay her down in her crib and then she's good to go. So as I'm holding her, I I try to take the hat off again in the pitch dark, throws a fit. She about like head butted me like Dennis Rodman. Like this was a dangerous place to be in. Like she was Bryce Harper and I was Hunter. No, 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 no. She was Nolan Ryan and I was Robin Ventura. Things weren't good for us. So I put the hat back on and just left it on. And I kid you not, this sweet baby girl fell asleep in my arms with her Cubs hat on. I put her down in the crib and I took like a hundred screenshots, but she just slept with her Cubs hat on. And I've never been so happy in my life as a dad that my kid had to go to sleep with her Cubs hat on. And our baby monitor, you can see it from anywhere, technology. So my wife looks at it from Miami, sends me a message, and she's like, is that our daughter wearing a hat while she sleeps? And I was like, yeah, I couldn't get it off of her head. She just loves a hat. but She loves like all accessories too. So today, it was all about sunglasses. She had to have her sunglasses on all the time. But what's really interesting is I had to have mine on too. So if I took mine off, she would get pissed and grab the sunglasses and shove them back on my face. And the glasses I have, they're like the knockoff like Ray-Ban Wayfarers. So they look like the 80s style. Like I look like an 80s preppy bad kid off of like, you know, an 80s movie or something like that. So I really like the glasses. But the lenses on them are so dark. So being in the house with the glasses, it's really hard to see anything. And so sometimes I would just want to take them off out of necessity. But like that was a no-go. And that's the stage that my daughter's at now. It's, you know, it's a pure dictatorship. Like she started about what, seven or eight months ago standing in front of the oven so she could see a reflection and she would just shout sort of like an, just like an angry dictator. I don't know what language she was speaking, but I know it's a language. And now she's sort of taken on the role of the dictator. Like I have to wear sunglasses. I also have to wear a hat. But what's weird is she'll like rip the hat off my head and throw it down and then pick it up and put it back on my head. So that's really an interesting thing too. She's very organized with everything that she does. But she is, she's demanding right now. That's sort of the age that she's at. And it's just so damn fun because she just does the craziest stuff, you know? And it's really fun. You know, there's the grocery store stuff about her just like staring down people. Like, I don't know if she wants to fight him or if she's being sweet. And when it's around people, you know, like you don't know, which is, I guess, all the time, it's it's interesting, you know, that she really stares people down. It's sort of just like, she's sort of like Doc Holliday in that sense too, where it's like, she's going to stare you down and maybe she's going to pull her gun out. I don't, I don't really know, but she's, it's been a fun time. We've eaten a lot of goldfish. God, I love goldfish crackers. Goldfish are so good. Anytime we go to the store, I have to buy a whole bag for me and I can eat a whole bag of goldfish in one setting. Those suckers are good, man. I'll get a goldfish and a Diet Coke. That's usually like my breakfast, and it's really good. So <laughs> it's, it's been a wild time, though, man. Good stuff. 
So baseball bats, listen, I can't stop buying baseball bats, and it's to a whole nother level at this point. Like, I've always talked about the joys of having, like, an empty wrapping paper tube during Christmas to swing bombs with, you know what I mean? And I'm sort of doing that around the house all the time now with real-life baseball bats. I've been very careful, so that's a good thing. I haven't broken anything yet. Big emphasis on yet. There is a lamp that I'm going to fuck up. I know at some point, but, like, I've... Obviously, with this podcast, man, I'm super big on nostalgia, and there are certain things that just transport me in time, man, and they make me feel good, and I really enjoy it, and, um, you know, that this past go-around in the spring, you know, getting on that softball team, and then with my buddy Brad coming up with the baseball tournament in Myrtle Beach or whatever, it sort of got me hitting a lot more, and I ordered that Tanner tea a while back, and really it started... About It started the summer, which I guess would have been about three years ago, where my wife and I moved into the neighborhood that we're in now, and with like a three or four minute walk, there are like four baseball fields, and two of them go up to like 300 feet. One's, uh, one's like 285, and one's 299, and so I ordered like this uh, um, fucking like um, soft toss machine. And it doesn't take batteries. It works with a spring. So you put the ball in it, push down the pedal, and the ball just shoots up in the air. It's like a soft toss, and you can just hit him. So I started doing that about three years ago because I got this Louisville Slugger Ash Bat, T141 from Play It Against Sports, which I love Play It Against Sports. And getting into these leaks and stuff, I ordered a, a T, um, I don't know, man, five or six months ago or whatever, and started getting into hitting more. My buddy Brett ordered some bats. So, like, I ordered this Pinnacle Bat. And then ended up meeting this guy named Dave for Brooklyn Bat, who made me a couple bats for like 70 bucks a pop. And one's got the uh, like the Miami Marlins colors on it, like the vintage ones from like 97. And then another one that's got like the Barry Bonds uh, style paint job on it with the black handle and the cherry barrel on it. And then there's another company that I ordered a couple bats from as well for, you know, for like 80 bucks a pop or whatever. So I've ordered like four baseball bats. Like, obviously, I've got a ton of aluminum bats, which I won't get into now, but it's these wood bats, man. You get all these wood bats with, like, custom colors and engraving on them and things like that. Like, I have bats, like, engraved with, like, my name and number on them, and I ordered this this orange Victus bat, and none of these are sponsors, so none of these baseball bats are sponsors, so I'm not trying to plug, plug you or anything like that. These are just bats I like, and really, I ordered this Victus bat because they have this really bright orange color, and the best Little League team, I think maybe the best team that ever existed, I was on the Elks back in, geez, I don't know, it was like 94 or something like that. It was Bronco baseball, and our colors were bright orange. So I ordered this Victus bat that's bright orange, barrel and handle, and it's got my name on it and my number from the Elks baseball team. I had it all custom engraved, so it's like a Little League bat for me, but it's a 34-32. And yeah, that's what it's like. So basically the barrel, like the barrel has the make and model of the bat. And then it says my name, Quentin McCree. Then it says number 13, because that's the number I had. And then it says Elks on it. So it's like, has my Little League team name and number engraved on it. And it's a shit, man. And I find myself just like, you know, if, if I'm in my podcast studio, like I'll grab a bat and just sort of hold it and swing it or I'll go outside and take like real big cuts. And then I've been driving to the baseball field. It's been really hot lately. But I've been going up there and hitting balls off the tee if I don't have anyone to pitch to me. And damn it, man, it is like, it is so fun. Like, I don't know what it is about a baseball bat, but a baseball bat is like one of my favorite things. Like, and I, I don't know why, man. It's like, 
I've always loved baseball gloves and the way they smell. And, like, those are great, too. But something about the baseball bat recently, man, it's like, I kid you not, like, I go through, like, players' baseball stances in the front yard when I let my dog out. Sometimes in my underwear. Like, I'll take a piss in the corner bush and then start taking some cuts. And, damn it, it's, it's so fun. And then I'll always have a bat or two downstairs. And my daughter will grab a bat and just start dragging it around. And it's the sweetest thing. I've got this bat made by a company called Empowered that's like a light blue color. And it's the lightest one I have. It's a 32-inch, 31-ounce. It's like a, it's a contact bat. So I got it a little shorter because I wanted to be lighter. Because this tournament in Myrtle Beach, like, I'm, I'm probably going to swing with that because it's the lightest, quickest through-the-zone bat that I have because it's got a a little bit of a thicker handle and a smaller barrel. So it's like no drag whatsoever. So I can really get good cuts off of it. And it's, it's going to be my contact bat. I'm going to try to do my best like Rod Carew impression and just like the way he does his stance, like he gets low and the bat sort of like facing backwards. I think that's my plan with the bat, but I digress. My daughter loves to drag the bat around too. And she's, you know, I already told you, she likes to wear glasses and hats and I figure she's ready to play the outfield and, you know, swing at some baseballs or whatever. And it's just really fun. Like, it's one of those little things that's seemingly meaningless, but it's not really actually, you know, if you had told me like how much it would mean to see like my daughter drag a baseball bat around the living room, like I probably wouldn't be able to realize how heavy that situation was until I actually saw her do it, man. It's just like the sweetest thing. Like she'll grab the bat and smile and just drag it around the kitchen to the living room. And then I'll pick her up to like take her upstairs and she won't want to put the bat down and she can carry the bat too, like up in the air. Like, I've got a 34-inch, 35-ounce bat that she can lift up off the ground, and, like, she's seemingly unfazed by it. Like, I think she's too powerful of a baby. And, you know, if, if we have two kids and the second kid is as strong as the first kid, I think they might take me and my wife out. I don't really know. But it's just so fun, and it's like, I hold this bat, dude, and, like, it, it gets me into baseball. Like, there's something about the physical activity of doing something with baseball that just makes me enjoy the sport even more. Like, it's great to be a spectator and go to a ball game, but to actually do something so small is to just, like, grab a bat. Like, I could, like, if you if you don't play baseball and don't have a baseball bat, you should order a baseball bat, and you don't even have to play in a game. Like, it's fun having a baseball bat in the house. It's like, you know, like it's having like one of those fidget spinners or like when you used to go to like Spencer's back in the day in the mall and you'd get like a little squeezy ball or something like that. Like it's just like a good habit thing. It's like smoking a cigarette, but it won't kill you. You know, you just like grab the baseball bat and just like hold it. You you can take like practice swings in the living room. I'll be at soft ones or like go outside and take some cuts. Go through like your favorite player stances, like do your Daryl Strawberry or Will Clark or Gary Sheffield. And it's just like, it's cool to have a baseball bat and not even play the game of baseball. Like just to have it in the house. Like baseball bats are fun to look at. They're fun to hold. It's fun to like, you know, I'll go through my favorite stances and I'll just like remember players I forgot about. Like Mickey Tettleton. I'm like, dude, I'm doing the Mickey Tettleton right now. And it's just fun, man. It's like having a having a good baseball bat's like looking at a good baseball card. And it just takes you back and makes you feel good. And it's fun. And I think I I think I probably have enough bats to do it with, but I might do a giveaway and just give away a bat or two on Instagram because just having a bat and not even playing bass, like it's just fun to have a bat around the house. It's like listening to a good song. You know, it's a, it's great, man. And I'll even like, I'll go in the garage sometimes and just put some pine tar on my bat 
and then just hold it and then sniff the pine tar and rub the pine tar like up on the barrel. You know, I think it's like the, I don't know what anniversary of the pine tar game. I think that's either July 23rd or 24th. And I'm recording this on the night of the 24th. And like just put some pine tar on that bat. And that's what I'll do. I'll go out in the garage and I'll put pine tar like halfway up the bat and then maybe a little higher, you know, to pretend I'm sort of like George Brett. Like I'm going to get that pine tar high on there. And it's not like the pine tar actually helped him hit the home run. If he barreled the ball, the pine tar wasn't up to the barrel, I'm pretty sure. I think it was just higher up than what they wanted to, but I don't I'd have to look at the play to be honest with you. But I doubt that that I doubt that pine tar made him hit that home run. There's no way. I mean, I in the softball league that I just played in, I didn't I didn't use pine tar, but I used like this clear a sticky substance <laughs> that sounds really guilty right I use a sticky clear substance not spider tack that Garrett Cole and all them guys are using but I forgot where I got it from but it sort of looked like wax like if you if you skateboarded when you were like in junior high or high school like the clear wax you would put on the rail and it's it's a little gummy right not as gummy as pine tar but it's, it's fairly gummy and I put it up the barrel of my softball bat and because it's clear you can't really see it but I did, it did get a little dirty or whatever, so it looks like dirt. It doesn't look like tar. And I put that all over my softball bat because those guys will spin those balls so much. So having the grip on there will help me out a little bit. So I get the logic of, like, if you've got – you can't put pine tar on the whole damn barrel of your bat because it's going to it's gonna grip the ball more, you know? And so I think that's probably what their beef was with it when – who what It was Casey Stangle? No, no, no. Uh, Billy Martin that came out of the dugout and threw a fit. Because it was the Royals and the Yankees or whatever. And it's like, that ball didn't make him hit that home run. I don't think so. I don't think it was the fucking sweet spot of the bat. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. But anyway, like, I'll do that too, man. Like, I'll go in the garage, dude, just tar up a bat and just get the sticky on my hands, man. No batting gloves. And, dude, it's just so fun. So get you a baseball bat, man. Like, there's just so much stuff I remember. Like, the silliest thing, like, the smallest thing is, like, I remember... When my old man would take me to ball practice in the S10, 87 Chevy S10, four-cylinder, four-speed manual, dude, nothing but a radio in there, man, listen to 80s country. And I would, like, leave in the house, man. Like, I would slide my black and gold east, and it wasn't a black magic, but it was, like, the power core, you know? and Because that's the bat I would have used, like, in Mustang. Bronco, I had a bigger bat, but I would, like, put my black and gold bat in my Easton bat bag and then get in the truck, and I would never put the bat bag in the the pickup bed I would always like have it on my lap because like I knew the bat was there in the bat bag like the bat stuck out a little bit so I would just always like hold the bat and I loved it you know and I was swinging a bat the other day and it made me think of the rides in the S10 man and like you know taking BP at the sandlot and stuff like a bat's a meaningful thing like I think for Christmas I'm gonna get my daughter like a youth size bat you know she'll be two in January but if if she can drag around right now like a 35 ounce bat I'm gonna get her like a you can get wood maple bats that are like 26 inches and like 16 or 17 ounces from this company that I looked up called Richie Bats. Uh, it's a badass dude, man. I don't know where he makes them from, but the guy looks like he, he can paint some fucking bats. They look dope. And I think you can get from him like a 26-inch, um, like 17-ounce or 26-inch, 18-ounce maple bat, full custom colors. Dude, now I'm going to get one for my daughter for Christmas, man, so she can just drag that sucker around. And uh, it's just so fun, dude. Like, if you have kids, to see kids enjoy the stuff that you enjoy. But also to enjoy the stuff that your kids enjoy, too. Man, it's just so much fun. It's It's been a blast, dude. But get you a baseball bat, dude. Even if you're not going to play, just get one. 
All right, so we got to get into this week's player of the week. Listen, Willie McGee, Willie McGee, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited about this one. You I you always hear me on this podcast talk about like vintage classic legendary St. Louis Cardinals players and I am indeed a Cubs fan, but I don't care about any of that because I'm not weird with the rivalry like Cubs Cardinals. Like I don't hate the Cardinals, like I like them, man. They always have a ton of good historic players and Willie McGee listen Willie McGee's one of the most exciting underrated dudes underrated in the sense of listen probably not actually underrated but in today's like baseball lexicon like you have your legends and then there are a lot of those legends that just don't get talked about enough you know like thankfully recently You've had like more love to Dave Parker and Dick Allen, but then you got guys like Willie McGee that a lot of dudes, a lot of younger baseball fans like don't know, right? And Willie McGee was such a legendary. Like you can't talk about '80s baseball without Willie McGee. And I don't care a shit about any of like that advanced data. Like I don't know what his WAR is. It's probably like thirty or something like that. But Willie McGee is to me like in the same vein as your Dave Parkers and your Dick Allens, right? You can look at the stats and look at the war, and you just don't get the whole story because Willie McGee was an absolute team leader, a sweetheart of a guy, and was always willing to give his time. So that's a guy that you want in the clubhouse, and he he's going to make a difference beyond his numbers, right? So Willie McGee, he grew up like in California and his his old man worked uh, was a hardworking dude, right? Worked two jobs, and I can always appreciate stories like this because I feel like as we come together, like on this podcast, and you know, I talk and you hopefully listen to some of this. You know, we always can come together about the like the lessons and like the family. Uh, you know, just what, you know, how baseball and family sort of comes together and hard work is always, for me and a lot of people, this uh, thing we talk about a lot when it comes to baseball and, you know, how we grew up on the game and what our family did for us. And, you know, Willie McGee, his his dad, his parents, you know, raised him on love and discipline. That's what it was all about. And when you look at a guy like Willie McGee, it's that love and discipline that make him a great player. And how it goes so beyond the numbers for him. You know, it's great to have good contact skills, which Willie had. He won a batting title. Maybe Willie won two batting titles. And I think he won two batting titles. He won an MVP in 85. And it's like all that shit is nice, dude. Like if you can hit the ball and run fast, like that's good stuff. But what's that real difference maker, right? Like when, you know, when the body starts to fail you and you're still productive in the clubhouse, sometimes when the numbers aren't there, it, it's that the person, it's the person that's left, right? And that's what Willie McGee was, you know, everywhere that he went. There was a reason why the Oakland Athletics traded for him in 1990, you know, and because who else did the Oakland Athletics get at one point? You know, Dave Parker, right? There was, you know, it's guys like that that teams want, even if they're not in their prime, because they're worth so much more because they bring so much to the table, right? And a lot of when I think of Willie McGee, the legend of Willie McGee has to do with who he was as a person, right? Like coming up, Willie McGee lived with Ozzie Smith for a while. So Ozzie Smith was a little more of a mentor to him. And when Vince Coleman came up, Willie McGee did the same thing for Vince Coleman. And Vince Coleman lived with Willie for a while because Willie was trying to show Vince the ropes, you know, and stuff like that. And 
that, you know, it's it was always said that Willie McGee was a guy that was always willing to give his time, no matter how much of the time he didn't have, no matter how busy he was, he never said no to a teammate. And that's what he was really big on because that's what that's what was given to him growing up. You know, when his dad worked a second job, his dad was a janitor for the second job, and Willie and his siblings, they would go help his dad out, you know? And I think those values were taught early on. So that's a lot of the reason why I like Willie McGee because it's those intangibles. You know, I love exploring, you know, these old baseball players and sharing the stories with with anybody that listens to this because there's just, that's just what's so good about baseball. There's so many baseball players and a lot of them that can be forgotten about. And it's, and you know, like I was a big Willie McGee fan growing up, but it's really been over the span of the past month that I like really got to know a lot of the detail on who Willie was as a person, you know, because you could look at Willie McGee and tell that he's probably a nice guy. Like he was such a humble dude. Like Willie McGee would like, he's the guy that would make a diving catch in the outfield. And then as he jogs back to the dugout, like you won't even know anything happens. Like he's got like the Emmett Smith approach. He's like, act like you've been there before and you're going to do it again. So after Willie McGee makes a diving catch, he's just jogging back to the dugout. Like he's, I don't know, walking to the bathroom to take a piss or something. Like it's nothing to him. He was just, that's just who he was, right? So you could tell by looking at him that he was probably a nice guy, but those details about, you know, how how he was raised with his family and always willing to help teammates out, those are things I like a lot. But the funnest thing about Willie McGee, buddy, it's the speed, man. Like, being fast, yo, that's why I liked him as a kid. Like, fast players were the shit, dude, because being a kid – it was all about being fast. Like it was one of the funnest things ever. Like being a kid, like the two things that mattered more than anything were lighting stuff on fire, right? So you had to have a good lighter and then just being fast, like running fast and riding your bike fast. Like that's what life was about when we were kids. Like I remember racing kids on the playground. Like you would go out for a recess and be like, after you play tetherball or foursquare, just be like, hey man, you want to race? And then like that was it. Like it was a duel a fucking duel on the blacktop where it's like, yeah, let's race. I'm about to win this race. And then if you won the race, you would come back in from recess, take your spelling test, and the whole time in your head, you're like, yeah, I beat that kid in a race. What's up? But the same way with the bikes too, like being a kid, you know, our bikes, it was like a symbol of pride for us, you know? It was like having a really nice car. Like my bike, I would go (laughs) to like Walmart with my parents when I was a kid or whatever, like, and I would like, had to get armor all for like my mags and my tires. I would get chrome polish and shine that sucker up like every Saturday. It was a matter of pride for a bike. You know, you have the front and back pegs. You got the gyros so you can do bar spins. But it was all about riding fast, man. And you get pedaling really fast and you would stand up on your bike and like you would move your handlebars, you know, back and forth. Like not back and forth, but like up and down, you know, to sort of generate speed and stuff like that. You know, wearing like your Jinko jeans and your chain wallet or whatever era you grew up in. Yeah, I remember wearing those big stupid fucking Jinkos and getting oil from my chain on my Jinkos. I would be so pissed, man. But anyway, yeah, so that was it with Willie, man. It's just the speed, dude. Like, you would be watching television, and then Willie McGee gets on base, and then, you know, like NBC or whatever would do, like, the split screen with the thick yellow line down the middle, and Willie's on base, you know. But Willie wasn't the primary stealer because a lot of the seasons where Willie McGee was batting second and was Vince Coleman batting first, like in the 85 season where Willie McGee 
won the MVP. Dude, one of my favorite MVP seasons ever. Like, I love Barry's 73 home runs. And, you know, there's just a lot of good MVP seasons out there. Like, all Juan Gonzalez seasons where he batted, like, you know, 290 with a 330 on base. No, probably a 360 on base. That's a good number. I don't mean to diss Juan Gonzalez. But, no, Juan Gonzalez, his two MVP seasons where he's just bashing the shit out of balls. I bring that up about Juan Gonzalez because it makes a lot of people hate on Juan Gonzalez MVP seasons because his war was so low. So now, like, the advanced data guys go back and they'll be like, yeah, Juan Gonzalez didn't deserve those MVPs because he had, like, a four war. And I'm like, did you see the guy hit? Did you see his mullet, man? (laughs) Like, dude, he would hit home runs so damn far. Like, Juan Gonzalez was a fun player to watch, man. And the intangibles that Juan brought to the table were phenomenal hair and long home runs. But anyway, so like there are a lot of MVP seasons out there that I really love. Barry, Juan Gonzalez, Dale Murphy, man, like you name it. There's just some good ones out there. But Willie McGee's 85 MVP season, first and foremost, he stole 56 bases that season. And the reason why I say it, because he was batting second, I think, most of the year. I could totally be wrong on that, so I'm not sure. But that same season in 85, I think Vince Coleman had 110 stolen bases. So you had two guys that had like 166 stolen bases. Like, what in the hell, man? But Willie's season, so in 85, he won the MVP, right? Willie bats 353. That is an extremely high batting average. Like, I feel like if you're batting like 320... 325 or 330 like that's really good you get into the 340 range it's like oh shit man then when you get like 350 and over that's sort of just like fuck you territory like I'm bad 350 dude I'm way better than you right now and that was it man he had like 216 hits that season and 18 triples man so batting 353 56 steals and 18 triples listen Willie McGee only had 10 home runs in 1985, but still slugged like over 500. It's because of all the doubles and triples because he was so damn fast. And I just love the season because it sort of makes me feel like it was a Ricky Henderson type season. I love Ricky Ricky Henderson's best seasons when you look at his numbers. They just they'll blow your mind, man, because he, I've talked about a lot before, he was like a really good Russell Westbrook that played baseball. Because he could just force his will on the field. And if like it was like if Ricky needed to score a run, he didn't need you to do it. If he would get on base himself, he would just do the rest, man. And that sort of seems like the season that Willie had. High batting average, good steals, and a lot of doubles and a lot of triples. And it's just like, man, that's sort of the season that Willie had. You know, if he was coming up to the plate and the team needed a run, you know, he batted 353 so he could hit. He had 56 steals, so if he only got a single, he could get to second and third. But then a lot of times he was hitting doubles and triples anyway, so it's just like, dude, like if he gets on base, there's a pretty good chance he's gonna score. I don't know exactly. I don't. Um, no, I don't know how many runs he scored that year, but I'm guessing it was a pretty good amount. But the '85 season was a special year because that was the uh, the Royals and Cardinals World Series, which I need to go back and watch all seven games. That you know, I never have. That was a seven game series. I believe, yeah, yeah, and because the 82 World Series was also seven games, but the Cardinals won that one, and I need to watch that series, that 85 World Series. I'm pretty sure it was a hell of a World Series 
I think that was the one where Vince Coleman got hurt because he got sucked under the tarp. And I don't think he maybe didn't play anything past game one of that World Series. But I think that that's got to be up on like what I need to watch next. I'm into right now. I'm watch. I'm on game one of the 1979 NLCS between the Reds and the Pirates, and I've I think up to probably like the fifth or sixth inning or something like that. And it's really good because it's got John Candelaria, who at that point he's in his second postseason appearance because his first appearance was in 75 against those same Cincinnati Reds, and he was like a 20 or 21 year old rookie and. I shit you not, here's what John Candelaria, the candy man, one of the all-time nicknames in Major League Baseball history. In 1975, in that NLCS, like I said, he was a 21-year-old rookie, and he pitches game five, and I believe the Pirates lost that game anyway, but not because of Candelaria. He went like seven innings and struck out 14 dudes, and that's still, I think, tied for a strikeout record in an NLCS, maybe tied by like a couple different guys. But he gets into that game as this young rookie. The first three batters he faces are, I think, Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, and Johnny Bench. Strikes out all three of them. He struck out one of them looking, dude. And the other two, I think, swing, which is completely crazy. So the 79 series, it was only Candelaria's second appearance in there, but dude, he pitched good, man. He was the ace. I think even on game one of that 79 NLCS, I think the Candyman was pitching on short rest because Chuck Tanner was managing that team, and he said, no doubt, Candelaria was going to be his number one guy no matter the situation. And game one, to be honest with you, I don't know who wins it because I haven't finished the game. I... But it's Tom Seaver, John Candelaria, and there's so many good matchups on this. You can get them. I think all seven games you can watch on YouTube, and these lineups are loaded, dude. You've got Pop Stargell, who won, I think, the NL MVP in 79. Then you have Dave Parker. you got Omar Marino. Kent Takuve's coming out of the uh, bullpen. Like, Tom Foley's on the team. you got uh oh Scrap Iron Phil Garner, dude. Oh, it's dude. He, I mean, he's playing second base. He's got the stash working, but, and then, you know, you've got a lot of guys. You have, I think the whole big red machine in 79 minus Pete Rose. So Joe Morgan's there. I don't, I'm not well versed on those red teams, but Joe Morgan, George Foster, Johnny Bench, Ray Knight's playing third. Ray Knight is the guy that replaced Pete Rose because in 79, Pete would have went to, I think Philly, right? Because then was he in Philly maybe for 79 and then 80 because the Phillies won the World Series in 80. And I know Pete Rose was on that team. Um, Dave Concepcion's on that team. That's all I can think of on the spot, really. But that's the series I'm on now. But I feel like I got to get into the 85 World Series ASAP. But speaking of Cardinals World Series, apparently that 82 World Series, Willie McGee had a hell of a series, particularly in Game 3 of the 82 World Series, and I've never watched Game 3 of the 82 World Series, so I guess I'm going to have to get down on that too. But apparently in Game 3, Willie McGee had one of the best World Series performances in the history of World Series, you know? And he, what? so the situation was, I think in Game 2, he had, because he was, he was a rookie in 82, and so 
he had made, I think, a few mistakes in game two, maybe like a few fielding errors, and I think he had like a big base running blunder. And I think that was in game one or game two of the 82 World Series. So you can imagine just being so young, and if something like that happens, you're just sort of like, oh, shit, man. Like, that's that's hard to reset from when you're young and you're playing for the Cardinals, which is like just this, you know, historically, like, successful winning franchise. Like, and you're in a baseball town, too. It's sort of just like, I mean, that's got to be some pressure as a 20-something-year-old rookie. So in game three, though, he comes out. And in game three, Pete, Vuk- Pete Vukovic is pitching. Now, Pete, dude, gave everything he had for that 1982 season. And he had a phenomenal pitching performance the whole damn year. I mean, listen, Pete Vukovic pitched until his damn arm fell off. Because after the 82 season, you saw glimpses of great pitching from Vuk. But it, a lot of it was gone, too, because he gave everything he had for that 1982 season. And so he had a phenomenal year, and he was pitching damn good. Now, in 1982, Willie McGee only hit four home runs. And they were pitching, pitchers were pitching Willie, like, breaking balls, off-speed stuff, because that's what you could get him on. You know, he's a young guy, man, so give him some stuff that moves, and you'll get him out. And so, in Willie's first at bat, I guess maybe... Uh, I don't I don't know what Pete was throwing him. I don't know if it was just, like, a changeup or what it was. But in Willie's first at bat, he hits a home run off Pete Vukovic. And Pete's like, what the fuck? This guy hit a home run off of me. Like, he's this little skinny guy with no power, and he just hit a home run off of me. And he's like, oh, whatever. I guess he just ran into one. But this is weird because we had him scouted right, throw him off speed stuff, and he can't hit him. And he's had a sketchy series, but he just hit a home run off of me. Pete Vukovic was a Cy Young winner in 82. So then (laughs) Willie's next at bat. He hits another home run off Pete Vukovic. And Pete's like, what the hell? This guy had four home runs all year, and he just hit two home runs off me. Now, it gets even better, though. So earlier in the game, I think it was the first inning, he robbed. I I could have this backwards, but basically, Willie McGee in in Game 3 of that 82 World Series had two phenomenal catches. And one of them, he straight up robbed. Gorman Thomas of a home run jumped over that wall and it was a damn good catch I saw the clip on YouTube man you could watch it because it's on there and Rob Gorman Thomas but he also robbed Paul Molitor in that game too now I don't know if it was going to be a home run or just extra bases but a combination of the two home runs and these he so he hit two home runs robbed Gorman of a home run and possibly robbed Paul Molitor of a home run I haven't watched the clip and it's just like on both sides of the ball coming off of a game where things weren't going so well. And that's what I talk about when it's like, you know, you've got Willie McGee that's got the speed and the contact skills. But I think it's a lot of those values that he learned growing up, you know, that, you know, fortify who he is as a person where, you know, uh, an athlete that can have a bad game in such a pressurized like situation and then come out the next game and like completely forget about it. That's one of the hardest things to do in sports, especially in baseball, because Willie was an outfielder. So if you do something shitty, you get to stand out in the outfield and think about it all day. And what makes a really good baseball player is the ability to forget because you'll harp because in baseball, it's a slower moving game. This isn't basketball where you're running up and down the court all day. In baseball, you got time to ponder shit. Like if you mess up and have a boneheaded play, it's going to be on your mind all game because you got that kind of time. And that's what makes Willie's World Series in 82, that game three, so impressive because it's like he just forgot about it and went out, dude. And that's the type of guy Willie was, man. Just a gritty dude who he, he left it all out there, man, and was able to 
I mean, just keep playing under intense pressure because he played with that love and discipline, man. And it's a big emphasis on that love because I feel like if you have a guy that's always willing to help others, it's sort of like you don't have that ego because you're in it not just for yourself, but you're in it for everybody. And I feel like it's that that helped him, you know, get over his game two performance and have a really good one of the best World Series performances ever in game three, man. So Willie McGee, player of the week. Dude, I hope you enjoyed that. It was a good one. Dude, I love Willie. All right, next on the agenda, listen, the home run derby. Now, I know it happened about three or four weeks ago, but I haven't recorded a podcast since the home run derby happened. I thought it was a good home run derby. Listen, Pete Alonso, I love how serious Pete Alonso took the home run derby. It was like his post-victory interview was sort of just like the interview after an MMA match. Like he was just honest and I loved it. He said, I I think I'm the best power hitter in all of major league baseball and I'm looking to win next year. You know, I think he's looking for a three-peat and I just thought it was so cool because it's the home run derby has always been about just having fun. I think the players go in and have fun And I've always loved the Home Run Derby. Like, back when I was a kid, man, when you had, like, Juan Gonzalez, Ruben Sierra, then Griffey, the big hurt. And then back in the, you know, when the big steroids started to come through. And you had Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire in there looking like a professional wrestler hitting baseballs. Like, geez, man, the Home Run Derby's just always been great. But with Pete Alonso, he gets so hype for the Home Run Derby. And he wants to win. He says he wants to win. And he said that he was the best. And I don't think I've ever seen that out of a home run derby contestant. And I feel like the slam dunk contest used to be like that back in the 80s and early 90s. And now it's like even with the dunk contest, I don't think a lot of like your big time NBA stars participate in the dunk contest, and it's sort of getting like that with the Home Run Derby. Like, no disrespect to anybody that was in the Home Run Derby this year, but your best home run hitters weren't in the competition. And so I really like what Pete Alonso did because I think he might drive others to sort of get into the mix. Like, notable names that were out that I would have loved to have seen was Fernando Tatis Jr., for one. He's one of the best athletes in all of baseball. He's always happy and excited and that I love but he can hit a baseball really good which is great and then Vlad Jr. like Vlad the Destroyer man that guy listen right now I know all a lot of the talk in Major League Baseball is about Shohei Otani and Fernando Tatis Jr. you know those are probably going to be your MVPs of the league and rightly so like Fernando Tatis is a shortstop hitting for power but he's not sacrificing any defense at shortstop. He's so good. I watched him, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago. He jumped and caught, jumped up in the air and caught a, a line drive that was well over his head. And he seemed like he could have, he seemed like he was like six or seven feet in the air and his body was completely stretched out. Like, I, it was like Dominique Wilkins was playing shortstop. I didn't know a human being could jump that high that quick. And what's so amazing about it is it's like, he does that. He he hits for power. He can hit for power. He steals bases. The man steals third when he wants to. 
And uh, and a lot of base stealing though isn't just speed. It's you have to be smart to steal bases. And Fernando Tatis Jr., he's just a really good, smart player. He's like the total package. I wouldn't be surprised if he should take up pitching. <laughs> I don't really know. I don't think Fernando Tatis Jr. pitches, but he's like, so I, well, what I'm getting at is like, so Fernando Tatis is a stud, will probably be the National League MVP, and I dig that vote, right? I really like it. And then Otani, Otani, man, he's got 35 home runs right now and a three ERA. He's thrown 80 innings. And has a three earned run average. Like, in what world? This is, I mean, right now as I'm recording this, it's like July 24th or something like that. I don't remember. And Shohei Otani, like, think about this for a second. There's a man playing Major League Baseball right now that has 35 home runs and a three earned run average. Like, what in the world? So I get those. But Vlad Jr. is secretly, quietly just having this amazing season in Toronto. He's got a really high batting average. He might have the highest batting average in all of baseball, the highest on-base percentage in all of baseball, and he might have 30 home runs by now. I'm not too sure. I saw something the other day. It was on Instagram probably, and it's something about some scout. His name was Scott something, a former scout. So, yeah, keyword there being former. When I guess when Vlad Jr. was a prospect coming up, this scout said, that Vlad Jr. was overrated, and he wouldn't even be at like this high of a prospect if his dad wasn't a major league baseball player, which is crazy because Vlad Jr., you know, would probably be possibly the AL MVP, maybe if Otani just wasn't having this ridiculous season. But what I'm getting at is Vlad Jr. is having a great season, man. And this is really like a great time for baseball because, you know, the listen, the more old school baseball I watch, the more I love the new school current baseball, it's like it helps me appreciate the game more. You know, when I look at, like, as I've watched more and more old baseball, I love the players and I love the gameplay, right? The game's different now than it was then. But more importantly, when I dig deep into this nostalgia and watch old baseball, it creates just this love for the game. Like, not just players and not just styles of play, but it's helped me to appreciate the game more, the current game more. And I look at the players, the really good players that are in the league now. And, you know, you've got, like I said, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Fernando Tatis and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Shohei Otani. And it's like you have these young players right now that are putting up ungodly numbers. They're just crazy and really good. And what's going to happen is 10 or 15 years from now, we're going to look at this era and these players with sort of that same nostalgia that we look at guys from like the 90s and the early 2000s. And we're going to say, do you remember when those guys were here? And we'll be comparing them to the new guys and saying that the new guys can't hold, you know, a torch to these old dudes because they were so good. And it's just a great time to watch baseball. And the home run derby sort of reminded me of that. Because I was going through all the guys that weren't in the Derby that I wish were. Like, Kyle Schwarber's hurt. He got hurt. Acuna, geez, he tore, like, his MCL, so he's out for the rest of the year. But he had a lot of good guys that weren't in it, like Judge and Stanton, who are big power hitters, and then Vlad Jr., Fernando Tatis. And so what I'm getting at is (laughs) where this started was me loving Pete Alonso's passion for the Home Run Derby. He takes it so serious. He's down in the cages in between his rounds, just hitting off the tee, getting pumped, getting psyched. He's like, you know, he's got his music playing while he's hitting home runs, and he's dancing in the batter's box. 
And I, I just loved it. And I think his success, and not just his success, but his determination in the Home Run Derby, I think makes the Home Run Derby so much better. I think there was a little bit of a time where like the Home Run Derby changed rules and then you had a lot of people just saying like, oh, like I want it the way it was because sometimes that's just a natural reaction. And you had those prime Home Run Derby days with like the guys I just mentioned, Juan Gonzalez, Ken Griffey Jr., McGuire, Sosa, Big Hurt, Ruben Sierra. Like I'm just thinking all these guys. I think Brady Anderson was in one once. Cecil Fielder was probably in a home run derby once. Mo Vaughn was probably in a home run derby once. Big Mo Vaughn, man, what a guy. And so that was definitely the heyday for the home run derby that a lot of us probably remember. But when I look at guys now that are in the league, and then you got a guy like Pete taking the home run derby so serious, I'm like, listen, Pete is so hyped to win the Home Run Derby every year. He's sort of just like, someone come and take it. Like, you want a shot at the title. And I think his dedication to this event is going to bring other guys to the event. At least I hope it does. Because when next year comes around and Pete goes for the three-peat on the Home Run Derby, I want all of those guys I just said, Judge, Stanton, Vlad, Fernando, I want all those guys to say, Listen, I'm going to come and beat this guy, and I want it to be just that, man, like this golden age of the Home Run Derby in the present day because I think it can happen. You know, there are just a lot of good guys in the league right now, and I'm excited about it, but the Home Run Derby, dude, I I remember playing Home Run Derby as a kid. That was just like the thing you do. Like, I talk a lot about loving small ball and bunts and triples and opposite field singles. Like, I do, and I love those things. But, you know, if you think about it, right, us is however old you are, like I'm 37, and I know anytime I get a baseball bat in my hand and I got someone pitching to me, I'm not trying to hit anything opposite field. I'm trying to hit it over the fence because hitting a home run has to be the greatest thing in all of sports. And, like, playing home run derby as a kid was an absolute blast. Like, anytime we got the crew together, the sandlot, like by my house, it was only two blocks from the house. So there wasn't a fence around it. So it was a field next to the school. And then once the outfield just got really far, it would go to the playground. So you had to hit it past the second set of monkey bars over a first set of monkey bars and a jungle gym for it to actually be a home run. Dude, and those were just the best times. Hitting home runs. I had like my Easton reflex, and before that, I had like my little Easton power core, and it was just a matter of going through all the power batting stances to try to hit a home run, and I mean, we would make a full day of it, dude, so you know if it was home run derby day on the sandlot, it was like, listen, get your get your bubble tape, you gotta have some chew in there, get your Gatorade, because you know it was coming in a glass bottle, or maybe a big slam of Pepsi with Shaq on it, and then get your nacho cheese Doritos, and then just go out there and just hit for power, dude, hit home runs. And that, to me, was, dude, such a blast, man, that home run derby. And it was like the All-Star game was pretty good, too. Man, I really liked what Shohei Otani did because it was like bat leadoff and throw an inning, which was a pretty good time. But to be honest with you, I really didn't watch the All-Star game, but maybe just like the first couple innings or something like that. I was just really roped into the Home Run Derby, man, because it's the Home Run Derby to me is one of like the biggest like nostalgic factors by far because, you know, just the prime years that we had growing up on it, then just, you know, hitting the sandlot and playing Home Run Derby. And then, you know, yeah, it was a good time, man, but I did enjoy the Home Run Derby, man. I really, really like what Pete Alonso did because I think it's just going to, 
you know, it. He he's bringing a new face to that event, and I really like it. And dude, if we can just get Vlad and Pete, and I like, I would love Stanton and Judge to come back to the home run derby too. Like you got like those older grizzled vets who have already won it, and they're older than you know, like Pete and all those guys. And I just want to see like those old sluggers like Stanton and Judge come in and just be like, "Yo, you youngins think you can win this home run derby?" Well. We're basically like 6'5", 280 or whatever, however big those guys are. And then just to see if Pete, I would love to see if Pete could beat Stanton and Judge in a home run derby and Vlad because Pete is like, Pete Alonzo is like the working man's ball player. Listen, he doesn't look like Stanton. Stanton is like cut up. He looks like he could be on the cover of Men's Health. He has a six-pack of abs. Listen, do you know when I had abs? When I was like six years old, dude. But Pete Alonzo, like, he proudly, what was it, like two years ago, he took his shirt off in a post-game victory, and he had, like, the best dad bod that you could ever have, man. And it's just, like, that's who Pete is. Like, Pete doesn't try to be anybody. He's not, like, trying to work out and get cut up and follow a diet. Listen, he's just a big, husky polar bear, which is a really fitting nickname for him. Like, the polar bear for Pete Alonzo and Steady Eddie for Eddie Murray are probably two of the most appropriate nicknames out of anybody ever. And so you would just have Pete, man, this blue-collar home run hitter, and then you got, like, these really, like, you know, stud huge dudes like Judge and Stanton, and then Tatis, dude, Tatis has always got the glasses, and he's got the hair flowing, and he's got the style, and then just to see Pete, like, beat those guys, like, listen, I don't want Pete to beat them, because I'm not saying Pete's not as good-looking as those guys, but I just love that Pete right now is the champ. And I want to see all of these studs who get, obviously, deservingly so, more attention than Alonzo. But don't forget, like, Alonzo hit 50-something home runs in his rookie season. And that was the rookie record. But I just like the story behind him. And I just like who Pete is. I like his personality. I like the way he looks. And I like the way he handles himself, dude. Like, Pete's like the everyday slugger, you know? He can hit 500 foot bombs on a baseball field. But he looks like he's built to drive an El Camino with four cases of hams in the back. And he's going to go to the beer league softball or church league softball and sneak some beer in and just hit absolute scuds into the woods. You know what I mean? I love Pete, dude. Let's get this home run derby going next year. I want to see the best of the best. All right. So let's get to the next segment. Speaking of playing baseball on Sandlots, there is a Sandlot meme that routinely floats around social media, and I love it, and I've always meant to take the time to talk about it, but I, I never remember to, but it's the it's the meme from the Sandlot movie where it has all the players on there, like all the kids, and they're hoisting Benny up because he's probably just conquered the beast after running through town, which is one of the most riveting scenes out of any movie ever. You know, like you've got the ending to Point Break, you know, over-the-top arm wrestling matches, and then Benny the Jet Rodriguez outrunning the Beast. Like, these are all good, you know, movie sequences, right? And then Back to the Future at the end, where, you know, Marty's got to go back to 1985, and it's the Clock Tower Madness. Like, those are all good things. But this meme, right, so it has the picture, like I just said, and written on the meme, it says, at some point in your childhood, you and your friends went outside to play together for the last time, and nobody knew it. That meme every time. And if you haven't seen the meme, you could just Google the Sandlot meme 
or I'll try to put it on my Instagram stories or something like that. But you should be able to find it pretty easy. But that meme always hits me hard. And, you know, usually I'm just into garlic bread memes because <laughs> I really love Texas toast. But this one, like, I don't know what it does, but just the, you know, the, the thought of knowing that, yeah, like, go first of all, going to the Sandlot as a kid and just playing as a kid was like such, like, it, it gives me some of my most important, like, some of my best feeling nostalgia I would say, but it's also one of the feelings that motivates me so much, like especially having a daughter. You know, I love to get my daughter outside, even in this hot summer heat, because I love summertime, because being a kid in the summer, well, when we were kids, summer was such a huge deal because we were out on summer break from school, and like, that was the shit. Like, do you remember the feeling that would always come up, like the last day of school would creep up, and then when you were just free, and then like, it was the best, man, like... I would wake up in the morning, you know, microwave some Pop-Tarts or eat a bowl of Cookie Crisp and then watch SportsCenter. Now, you know, vintage SportsCenter in the 80s and 90s was such a blast, man. It was when they had 30-minute episodes. And I know you probably did it, too, because I would sit down in front of the TV, big old console TV. It was a Magnavox, man, and sit about six inches from the TV, you know, eating my breakfast and just watch SportsCenter on repeat for like two hours, you know, so 30 minute episode at Sports Center, you know, I'd watch it at least four times every day. I had everything memorized, man. And, th- you know, those guys were so good. Dan Patrick, Keith Olbermann, Craig Kilborn, Linda Cohn. Listen, Linda Cohn, she's underrated. Nobody talks about her enough, but Linda Cohn was a Sports Center legend. And those old Sports Center episodes, man, it was just like, you know, having to memorize and watching them so much. It was like, I knew every single sport. Like I knew stuff about golf I knew stuff about like tennis, like tennis in the 90s was such a huge deal, like the Andre Agassi, Pete Sampras rivalry, like I always wanted Andre to win because he looked cool, and he had like a really badass mullet with like mousse and hair gel in it, and obviously like it was a pretty legit style, but Pete Sampras was would always beat him, like Andre could rarely, if ever, beat the guy, you know, and so that's how the mornings would start, cookie crisp, Microwave Pop-Tarts, watch Sports Center on repeat. And then, you know, call, get in the landline, you know, call your buddies on the landline phone, find out where everyone's at, you know, figure out a meetup spot. So unlock your bike, you know, meet your buddies, start riding to your buddies' houses. And then we would immediately go to like the butcher shop. It was called Cheney's. We would get like, you know, maybe a big slam soda, some of those Andy Caps hot fries. You could get a quarter bag of Doritos or you could get like the dollar big grab of Doritos, just depending on how much money you had. And a lot of you know, I will hustle up some money. I always mowed yards in the summer. And that's one of the reasons I love the smell of fresh cut grass too. Like I love to mow a yard like to this day. And then I have my paper route too. And then I would always, before I left the house, I would check the washing machine for change to see like if my mom or dad had left any money in their pockets. And then I could take that money, mostly quarters and stuff, you know, and just have a little hustle too, you know, because I wouldn't find the money and be like, oh, is this yours, mom? Is this yours, dad? That was fair game in my house. And then after, you know, you get up, we would get on our bikes and I know you did too. Like you're listening to this podcast and you probably did the same thing. And then after you round up your buddies and go to the corner shop for some treats, it was just like, we would ride our bike around all day, go to the sandlot, of course, home run derby, but then we would play games too. And it was like, you know, a lot of times we, we never had enough guys to play a full game of baseball. So there might be like four or five of us. And it was just like, you get a hit, get on base. And then it'll be your turn to bat in a couple bats. You call Ghost Runner on third, right? And you had to be really specific about that because 
one, everybody needed to know that there was a ghost runner on. But two, like if you left the base and didn't call ghost runner, you could get tagged out. And so that's how we would play like four on four baseball because it was just like you call the ghost runner, you know, and that was it. So because really, I mean, we were we never had more than six guys playing baseball. No, because there just were never that much people around. You know, because I lived in a neighborhood with some kids, but not like a ton. I mean, we never had like nine or ten kids playing baseball, you know. But, yeah, that's how we would just play the pickup games, you know. And I just think of like, you know, that meme. And it's like, I mean, it just remi- remember, I just remember like all of that good stuff. Like we would stay outside all day. And then like when the evening came around, you know, we'd ride our bikes home about 430 or 5 because we would eat supper, you know, not dinner. Like it was supper where I'm from. I feel like dinner is like a six or seven o'clock meal. It's like a little fancy, but I would go home at 4.35 o'clock and, you know, we have meatloaf or fish sticks and mac and cheese and then head back out again and just stay out all night, wait for the lightning bugs to come out. You know, when the street lights are come on, you have to go home. But then, you know, I, I would always ask mom, like, hey, can I stay out later? And then if all of us buddies could stay out later, we would just like ride our bikes through the neighborhood in the dark, you know, maybe steal some chromies off cars, you know, like the chrome caps and we would steal those chromies and put them on our bikes, which was really badass, too. Like, we would just get in trouble, man. And it was like no phones, no plans. We just lived free, man. It was like we could just do whatever we want. It's like those summer days, man. It's like they were endless, you know. Summer vacation seemed like it would last so long, and those were such good times. And to read this meme, and it's, you know, it really hits me hard because, like, I think of all those good times, and then it hits me, like, like, it's palatable where like when I read the line on this meme, that's like you went outside to play with your friends and it was the last time and you never knew it. And I'm like, damn, that happened, man. Like it's so crazy. Like, I don't know why that means so much to me, but it feels more real to put it in those terms. And I don't know, like it makes me miss it. But at the same time, you know, it motivates me so much, you know, having a daughter to just get outside with her and make things fun and, you know, catch lightning bugs and get in the dirt and, you know, just shut the screens and the TVs off and have fun with it. Like, you know, I, I can binge watch Stranger Things and all the diehard movies and Lethal Weapons like a madman. You know, me and my daughter just watched Terminator 2 Judgment Day the other day. You know, she... I don't know that she loved it because, you know, nobody was singing if you're happy and you know it. And there was a lot of machine gun fire, but she did not like it. So I feel like that was a good thing. But that mean man, like it just, dude, just those times, man, as a kid. And like, I wonder when the last time was that, like, I went outside and played ball with my buddies. Like, I don't know when it was, man. But, you know, like. God, like just the things I can remember, like having people stay the night at my house or stand the night at other people's houses. And we would like do like put together our change to try to get like 10 or 12 bucks so we could order a Bigfoot pizza and rent a movie. Like those were good times too, man. Like going to rent a movie on a Friday or Saturday night and just, you know, staying up late to watch it. And he's like, you have to rent them on VHS and you would have to remember to rewind the movies or whatever. But um, yeah, that's saying a lot me, man. I just always meant to talk about it because it just means a lot to me. You know, it makes me really remember that the good times that were had and you know, those good times can be had now, you know, like I, there's a lot. Uh, so there is obviously like this podcast in my Instagram is very nostalgia driven. Now there are a lot of guys that are my age and older that enjoy that nostalgia, but at the same time, sort of shit on the current state of baseball. Like, 
I've, I don't know what page it is on Facebook that I follow from my personal account. And it's just like this guy got on there the other day and posted a baseball, um, like a clip from a baseball game from like 98 or 2000 or something like that. And he it was just this big rant about how good the game was then and how shitty the game is now. And he, um, a lot of people in the comments were sort of just like reaming him, you know, they were like, dude, like, this is crazy. Like, you get on here and like posts like baseball used to be good, but you know, in the year 2000, people were probably bitching about new baseball and were saying that 1980 was good, you know, and it's like, it's, I respect people's opinion if they really dislike the current game of baseball, but like, I'm not that guy. Like I said earlier in this podcast, like digging into this old school nostalgia. And when I see like this Sandlot meme and it, you know, evokes these deep feelings of nostalgia, like it makes me enjoy the current game more because as I get older, I have more nostalgic memories to sort of channel. And I know that these times are good times. You know, like I remember I graduated college late. It took me like five or six years to get through undergrad because I drank a lot and I never went to class. I was sort of like Van Wilder (laughs) when I went to college. And, you know, that was like, you know, my last two years of college from 07 to 09, I was at SIU in Carbondale. And I think of those times with like a certain nostalgia. And I'm like, man, those were good times, you know. And that wasn't, well, shit, I guess it was 12 years ago now. But that was very much in the 2000s. Like I had a Facebook and an internet phone and the whole nine, you know. Like I was surfing the web, dude. And that's how these times will be, man. And... You know, that's what this meme also reminds me of, too, is that, like, there are good things to find now if we'll just take the time to recognize them. And, you know, I think that's a wonderful thing, too, you know, because, like, when I look at the current game, it, um, I know there are a lot of good legendary players, players that will be legendary that are playing right now that play the game really well. You know, like, you look at guys like Judge, Stanton, and Bryce Harper, you know, those are some of the older guys that I think we'll look back on and be like, damn, you remember when... You know, I think we'll look at a guy like Giancarlo Stanton and compare him to Dave Kingman. You know, like, I don't think Giancarlo Stanton's going to be a Hall of Famer because he can't stay healthy. But, like, Dave Kingman used to slug the shit out of some home runs. Like, he used to break windows at Shea Stadium parking lot, dude. So, and then that time he hit a home run out of Wrigley Field down to Sheffield. Like, he hit a home run to the third house on the right, like, bounced on the front porch or something. And, like, we'll look at a guy like Giancarlo Stanton and be like, yo, you remember when Stanton would go in the home run derby and just bash the shit out of balls like 550 feet? Like when Giancarlo Stanton hits a home run, it's like Uncle Rico throwing a football or how Uncle Rico thinks he can throw a football at Napoleon Dynamite. And as he swings a bat with such vengeance. And I know 20 years from now, if I'm still running, you know, my Instagram page, I'm going to be posting video of Giancarlo Stanton just absolutely bashing baseballs. Or like the one time Anthony Rizzo tried to fight the whole Cincinnati Reds clubhouse. Like, you know, one of my favorite old school baseball clips is John Denny's pitching to Reggie Jackson. And I guess at one point earlier in that game or earlier in the season, I don't know, because this was before I was born. This is a clip from like 82 or something. And probably before 82, actually, because I would have probably been like in the late 70s. And because Reggie Jackson by 1982, fuck, I think he was still a Yankee. I don't remember, but. Anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent. So John Denny and Reggie Jackson had beef. So Reggie comes up to bat 
And John Denny throws him a pitch, and Reggie Jackson hits the shit out of it, dude. Home run. Reggie Jackson runs the bases. When he crosses home plate, he go, runs immediately to John Denny and goes to fight him, right? And these guys get in this big brawl because it's like that nitty-gritty baseball that people loved. You know, hard sides into second. You know, hitters not afraid to charge pitchers and pitchers not afraid to, you know, charge hitters and shit because they weren't friends. They were competitors, you know? And I love that clip. And when I think of Anthony Rizzo trying to fight the whole Reds dugout, I'm like, yo, that's sort of like a Reggie Jackson moment. Like they both wear number 44 and they'll fight you and they don't really care, you know? So there's good competition. Like it's so cliche to say that today's baseball players are pussies, you know? And I don't think that's necessarily true because you got some gutty, gritty guys, you know? Like, yeah, the slides into second base aren't as hard. Okay, guys in today's game, they're a lot fucking bigger than they were then. Like, do I, like Aaron Judge sliding into you now is like getting hit by a Geo Metro. Like, that shit's not really good. But, like, if Larry Herndon's trying to take you out at second, and he's 170 pounds, like, we can deal with that. But Aaron Judge at 280, like, I'm going to need a wheelchair after this game. Like, he's just, that's just someone you don't want to mess with. So, like, that sort of stuff's not there. But, like, in baseball, like, if you sit down to watch a full game, like, there's gritty, gutty shit going on. Like, there's that whole beef with Amir Garrett and Javi Baez. And, you know, Amir's talked some shit to Javi. And then Javi got him the other day for, like, a walk-off and was just yelling at him while he was walking down to first. And I'm like, yeah, let's let that, you know, let it be, man. And it's like a lot of guys... You know, a lot of older dudes like myself will say, oh, that's a disgrace what Javi Baez did. But then it'll be those same people that are sometimes like, oh, I love when Reggie Jackson beat up John Denny, you know? And we'll look at moments like that and be like, yeah, Javi could sure field. Remember that time he tried to fight Amir Garrett, you know? Or like Amir Garrett tried to fight a whole team once. I think he fought like the whole Milwaukee Brewers or something like that. Um, But yeah, so I don't really know where that's tangent that I just went on started but oh yeah I was about just recognizing I I forget sometimes where I'm at like I need more guests on the show to sort of keep me in line but where I was going was that you know there are good moments in baseball and I think you know those are a couple of them if we sort of look at them but I, I think there's a lot of gritty good players on right now like we'll look we will look at guys like Acuna and Vlad and Fernando Tatis Jr. And, you know, we'll we'll look on them to stats and be like, yeah, remember when those guys were doing some things, you know, like Fernando Tatis, he does a little bit of showboat, man. He's got a little bit of Ricky Henderson in him. You know, he'll he'll swing the bat. He'll flip it a little bit. He'll steal third base on you. Like, he just looks cool when he does it. Now, I don't think anyone will ever be as cool as Ricky Henderson. Like, nobody, man. Like, I mean, who who could possibly be as cool as... Like, Ricky Henderson. Like, probably nobody that ever lived. Like, not Johnny Cash. Not, like, I mean, who's, like, some real cool guys? Like, Steve McQueen or something when he's in, like, those old movies racing cars or something. Like, James Dean. Like, none of them are Ricky, man. But you got some cool guys in the league, you know? But, yeah, I mean, you know, but that's sort of, uh, I think that's one of the important things, you know, as we do dig into nostalgia is, you know, try our best to appreciate the current game. Because, like, I, I found myself bashing current baseball I'm a Cubs fan man I'll get so pissed at the Chicago Cubs like to be a Cubs fan you just have to cry you know there's no other way about it it's like the fan on when uh, Randy Quaid plays you know cousin Eddie right when he's in uh, he plays in major league and on major league two and all he does is just shit on the Indians until they're winning 
And I'm like that a lot too, man. Like I'm old, dude. I get grumpy. This I'll be 38 in October, man. If I can bitch about it, I'll do it, you know. But I have been doing my best lately to really appreciate the current game. And to be honest with you, I've enjoyed it more, man. But I've really enjoyed some nostalgic baseball too. Like I've dug up some some pretty good you know, player profiles that I'll do in the upcoming weeks. Like Dickie Thon, he's got a hell of a story. I think I'll definitely do a big segment on Benito Santiago as well. And uh, shit, I might have to end up doing a segment on Shohei Otani with the stuff that guy's doing too. Who knows? But damn, man, he's playing some good ball. Well, I think I'm going to go ahead and close this episode out. I don't really think I have anything else to talk about, but I will. Well, whenever you listen to this, this will get loaded soon. And I think about a week after this loads, I've got another guest episode I'll load. But otherwise, thanks a ton for listening to the podcast. I'm going to try to do these solo podcasts more. My daughter's sleeping a lot more and a lot consistently. So that's been a good thing as well. Probably because we watch Terminator 2 and stuff like that. It just takes a lot of energy out of her. I'm not really too sure. But I don't know what's going to be next on our docket. I'd like to watch Predator with her if at all possible. But anyway, I'll stop. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And until next time, you guys have a great week, a great weekend. And hey, I'll talk to you soon. Right on, guys. Take care.